Hey, I invite you to turn to the great book of Romans, Romans chapter 5, and we're going to look here in a minute at just a fascinating picture of a crazy good journey with Jesus in Romans chapter 5. Well, hello, for those of you who haven't met, my name is Chuck Geschwind, and I'm 58 years old, and if I'm honest, I'm mad. I'm I'm mad as I think about my Christian journey. I'm mad that someone didn't take me early on in my Christian journey when I became a follower of Jesus at the age of 29 and someone simply said, hey, Chuck, here's how the Christian life works. Start here. Build this foundation. I'm mad that someone would say, here's, here's what the journey is and how it starts and what it's going to look like, and what it's going to feel like and what you can expect and what you can delight in, and, and here's how you can start and, and have a life that's a whole lot more delight than duty, and a life that says, here's how your soul works, here's how, what your soul needs, here's how to start your day and finish your day, and on and on, and I didn't have someone to do, lot, do that, just to say, start here, lay this foundation and don't move on. And build any kind of spirituality, relationship with God until this one foundation is laid. And so, as we get going today, uh, has anyone ever done that for you? Just to answer the basic question, how does Christian spirituality work? There are all these amazing promises of abundant life and full of life and full of love and joy. And yet most of us live lives that are riddled by anxiety and insecurity and shame and self-hatred and exhaustion, right? So has anyone done that for you? Has anyone said here is the indispensable foundation on which your Christian life and journey needs to be built? Anyone? Or whether they told you or not, do you know what it is? Do you know what the indispensable foundation is for your life? Just think about it. Write it down. What is it? Do you know? Are you crystal clear on what the indispensable foundation of your Christian spirituality is? Here's a little test so you can figure out if you know. Because if you know what this indispensable foundation is, it's such good news that you will tell everybody all the time. So have you told your kids, your, your family, your gospel community, the people at work, your neighbors, about this indispensable foundation of the Christian life? Well, we're going to talk, as you might guess today, what I believe is crystal clear in the Scripture about what is this indispensable foundation for the Christian life. But first, a few warnings. If you don't build your life on this foundation, your spiritual house will crack. Kind of like that. When we lived in Mobile, Alabama, my kids were young. There was a street we drove down all the time that looked about like that. It was even worse. It was like a stucco house, and it got to be known as the crack house. No drugs involved, but the foundation was just sinking. And it's like, oh my gosh, that crack gets bigger every month. And then eventually... What happens is 
your house falls. Your house has to have a good foundation. Your spiritual house, your spiritual journey must be built on the right foundation or you will have a cracked life, a cracked spirituality. You will be selling yourself and cheating yourself of many of the joys of following Jesus if you don't build your life on the proper spiritual foundation. So the warnings are, your spirituality will crack. You won't enjoy Jesus nearly as much as you could if you built it on the right foundation, if you understand the foundation. You'll never really learn to love deeply. You won't engage the spiritual disciplines with delight, but they'll be like shredded wheat, just, you know, not delight, but duty. Read your Bible, feel more like duty than delight. You'll come to church more like duty than delight. And then frankly, you won't be very much a good news missionary. You won't have much hope to offer a really hurting world. But if we understand what is the indispensable foundation to build your spirituality, I just want to offer you three benefits today. That you will be able to build a life of joy on this foundation. You'll experience what's promised in that fullness of the Spirit, a life of love and joy and peace and patience. Just think about how that sounds. Compare your life yesterday to the promise that you can have a life filled with love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. That's the vision. That's the promise. That's the offer of following Jesus. So first, you can build a life of joy in the foundation. Second, you will, if you build your life on the right foundation, you're going to understand how to daily warm your heart in the fire of God's presence so you can live with a soft heart, not a hard heart. And if you build it on the foundation, if you know how to warm your heart at the fire of God's presence, that will overflow into this fountain of blessing. You will love others like never before. So what is that indispensable foundation? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning for these minutes from Romans 5. What is this indispensable foundation? Why is this foundation so indispensable? And then real practically how. So what, why, how. Ready? Okay. I'm just going to give you the answer from the very beginning. What is the indispensable foundation the indispensable foundation is the genuine encounter with perfect love. And perfect love has a name. And perfect's name, perfect love's name is Jesus. That is absolutely true. This message is going to be so basic but so overlooked. Stay with me. It's a genuine encounter with perfect love. It's an experience of being loved by the person of Jesus. I love doctrine. I love the doctrine of the love of God, but it is my joy, it is my aim in my ministry to help people not just know the doctrine of the love of God, but to experience the delight of the love of God. I mean, a real encounter. Christianity is not just about getting doctrine right. It's about getting our delight right, about having a personal relationship with Jesus right, right? I mean, common language, but a relationship is intimate and... There's friends like we sang about, and there's listening, and there's talking, and there's communion, and there's closeness. And so the indispensable foundation 
It's all about a personal love relationship with the person of Jesus, nothing more, nothing less. To put it another way, the foundation is we have to receive love before we can ever give love. Listen to this quote. It is an item of faith that we are children of God. There is plenty of experience in us against it. The faith that surmounts this evidence and is able to warm itself at the fire of God's love, instead of having to steal love and self-acceptance from other sources, is actually the root of holiness. The indispensable foundation of spirituality is to be able to warm yourself at the fire of God's love. Do you know how to warm your heart at the fire of God's love, where your heart just melts in his presence, where you feel love, feel forgiveness, not just in general, but coming directly from the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior and King. I love this image of fire. The foundation is about receiving not achieving. This morning, I want to contrast two ways of looking at your Christian journey. One of them is this ladder. It's the picture of achieving. It's what so many Christians in the South think that's what Christianity is. I have to achieve. And if I go to church, step one, if I read my Bible, if I have a quiet time, if I give some money, if I'm better than most people, if, you know, there's a whole set of standard sins I have to avoid, it's a, it's a It's really a religion of achieving, and that's the way our hearts are made. Your heart, the default uh, mode to your heart is works righteousness. It's achievement-based. I've got to earn it. I've got to deserve it. That's in you. That's our flesh. That's our conscience. So I get it. That's why it says in that quote that there's a lot of evidence against just receiving they were a child of God. But this other picture over here, I wish I had a fireplace and a crackling fire right here. Left my phone in the car because I had my white noise app ready to have the crackling noise going on. But anyway, got the picture up. Man, I love fire. And think about just God's love is a warming fire. And so when you approach a fire, are you achieving or receiving? Yeah, you you set the fire. I mean, the the energy is done. I mean, the, the fire is built, and you just go and warm yourself. Now, you can choose to go far, far away from the fire and not be warm. You can get cold. Or you can enter the presence of the fire and let it warm you, right? It's an outside source warming you. That's the foundation. The indispensable foundation of your Christian life is that you need to be able to set yourself in God's presence and receive first. It's not about your achieving. We'll talk about the place and how obedience and faith and all these things fit in. But God so loved, God loved you first. Our life is to be responsive love back to his love. But first we skip this step or we assume this step, but we have the privilege and we have to learn to receive love. Receive and warm ourselves. As the quote goes on to say again, the indispensable foundation of spirituality is to be able to warm yourself with the fire of God's love. I promise you, in the person of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he's already set ablaze the fire of his love. And it's your task to go seek the presence of God. 
through all sorts of means, through public gatherings, through private reading of scriptures, through silence and solitude and, and kneeling down and praying, and all, through all the spiritual disciplines and activities, the main, all of them should be approached from this posture of receiving and being warmed. The whole idea of the Christian life is to bring your cold, hard heart constantly in the presence of God and let His love warm you and melt you. The way God works and intends to work is not to force you into the mold, but melt your heart so that you want to be molded as clay into the image of Jesus and to being more loving. I love this image of fire. So we'll tie it into the scripture here and, and look at Romans 5, these first few verses. But right before we dig into that, I don't know if you remember in Luke 24, right after Jesus resurrected, Peter goes into the tomb, it's empty. He goes back to tell his friends, and later that day, Jesus will show up uh, to Peter and the disciples, but before he does that, he's on this road to Emmaus, and these two fellows encounter Jesus, and they don't recognize Jesus, and they're walking along, and they go, man, what do you think about what's going on? And, and Jesus plays along, he goes, what are you talking about? Oh my gosh, that they just killed this this." Jewish man, he claimed to be the king of the Jews, and, and he, he was crucified and tortured, and he was buried. And then on the third day, he's, he's gone, he's risen. And they walked along and said Jesus was kind of going to pass by, they invited him in for dinner. And then Jesus broke bread, and all of a sudden, the scales of their eyes were lifted up. Well, he broke bread, and then it said he disappeared. And they went, oh my gosh, we just encountered Jesus. And you know what the scripture says about that encounter? It says, they were saying to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us? You see, Christianity isn't just about getting your doctrine right. It's about experiencing an encounter with a living person. Yes, I know Jesus is invisible to us. He has a body, but he's sitting now, resurrected, descended at the right hand of the throne of, of God. But the scriptures will tell us he's present, he's with us, he indwells us. He's come to make his home in us, Ephesians 3 tells us. So he's very, 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 very present. And the same Jesus that made their hearts burn, he wants your hearts to burn in a good way. Burn with zeal and excitement. Go, oh my gosh, I was in the presence of the holy. Their hearts melted and feel loved. We need a little theology in Romans 5, these first few verses. I love doctrine. I love theology. There are means to an end. Again, this, this is a great, radical, uh, shocking picture of what can be possible in our Christian experience in Romans 5, 1 to 8. But again, this doctrine just tells us about the person of God that then we're invited actually to encounter and have relationship with, okay? So it's not just about checking all the boxes and be able to answer a theological quiz. That is... Awesome and greatly needed and way too neglected. However, that's not the end goal. The end goal is to have a relationship with the God of that doctrine that delights yourself, okay? I know I've said the same thing a hundred ways, and that's on purpose. Romans 5, look at this. And, and there's so much more in here that we can dig into today. But Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's writing this letter to these Romans. He says, therefore, we have been justified. That's a legal term, justified. The fruit of which is this peace with God. But you know what justification is? 
Justification is the instantaneous, permanent declaration by God that you are right with God despite your sin. It's the instantaneous, permanent declaration forever by God that you're right with God despite your sin if you've surrendered and placed your trust in Jesus as Savior and King. It's forever. And and the emotional way to hear that is you're accepted. You're accepting his family. You're accepting his presence. You're accepting into his will. You're accepting into his eternity. You're accepted. And again, the fruit of that, it says, so we have peace with God. We have shalom with God. We have this this settled relationship with God, this secure relationship with God. We don't have to wonder where we stand. It's not a volatile, but a settled relationship. And oh my gosh, that's good news to my heart. Any of you? That just like, man, we have peace with God. Then it goes on to talk about this indescribable, crazy, mystical journey of starting with this peace with God. Through Jesus, we have, verse 2, obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Our future is so bright. More than that, we can rejoice in the present sufferings. Having your heart warmed by the justifying, accepting love of God is so good that you'll have a crazy perspective, so crazy that even your sufferings you can rejoice in because you know your future and you know who's with you. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Friends, your future with Jesus will not end in shame. No. You win. He's so good. Will not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But that wasn't me and that wasn't you. So look at verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still Sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, just a few comments about God's love. The doctrine of God's love that invites us into an encounter with the God of love. God's love in this passage is causeless. When he looks at you, he's not searching for something worthy of love. No, it's causeless in the sense it's all caused by his heart and character, not your heart and character. Because God is love. He loves not because there was anything to commend yourself to God, but there was something in God that commends himself to you. Because it says we were weak in verse 6, we were ungodly, verse 6, and in verse 8, we were still sinners when he died. So it's causeless and it's ceaseless. It's forever and ever and ever, and it is so deep and it is so wide. We were sinners. Look at that word sin there in verse 8. God shows his love for us and while we were first sinners. Okay, who loved first? The foundation of your Christian spirituality isn't your great commitment and love to God because you didn't have it. To start a Christian journey in your spirituality, it's got to start by right receiving his love. It's confessing you're a sinner, confessing you're weak, confessing your loss, confessing your need. And then God loved you, and he sees you actually for all of your neediness even more than you see, and he still loved you, and he came to you through the person of Jesus We were sinners. And in this context, think about this definition of sin. 
sin is, it's, it's multifaceted, but here's one facet I think is helpful. Sin is the relational failure of trust. Yeah, sin is doing wrong things, absolutely. But at its core, sin is not trusting God, the person of God. It's not trusting that he wants a good relationship with you and that he's good and that his commands are good and that your future's good. Sin at its core is an unwilling to trust that what God wants for me is my deepest happiness. Again, sin at its core is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. And so it's this relational failure of trust. It's personal. It's personal. When we use the word belief through scriptures, sometimes, and there is a right doctrine to believe, but that word's really to believe in. So I think for, for me, I think even the better translation is trust because it's relational. Sin is a relational breakdown between you and God, and that's from Adam and Eve on down. Think about what they did. They had a relational failure of trust that brought death and separation from the presence of God. They were unwilling to trust God. Trust him at his word. Trust him that those commands, don't eat, don't touch. Well, they didn't say don't touch, right? Don't eat. Was good for them. They didn't trust that he was good. And that's what sin is. It's a relational breakdown. Now I just want you to focus on this, not doctrine of the love of God, but the experience and encounter of the love of God in Romans 5.5. 5. I mean, this is crazy. This is mysterious, mystical. God has to do this. Hope doesn't put us to shame. Why does hope not put us to shame? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The very second everyone trusts in Jesus as Savior and King, you get the Holy Spirit to come make his home in you. And one of his primary jobs is to pour out the love of the Father in your heart. God's love. The, the reason you can rejoice in suffering and enjoy the peace of God through justification and that you can endure and go in this Christian journey that produces character and character hope and a hope without shame is because the foundation was that you received the Holy Spirit who's pouring out the love you're experiencing, the love. Friends, God loves you. Amen. Do you feel love? Guess what? God likes you. He made you, and he's come to rescue you. But that's crazy. We can't force the Holy Spirit to pour, but what we do is learn to receive and have him pour into our hearts as we sit in front of the fire of his love and let our hearts melt in love and fall in love over and over and over again. St. Augustine over 1,600 years ago, it's kind of old truth, said that the pivotal factor in the church's life is, is an experience of Romans 5.5 5 love literally being supernaturally poured out, infusing all of our behavior with the life of Christ. Friends, that, that is not Christianity advanced. That's not the graduate course. That's Christianity 101, day one, encounter with Jesus. It's literally... Romans 5, 5, love, agape love, unconditional love through the person of Jesus as our eyes get open to his beautiful work on the cross and resurrection ascension for us, supernaturally poured out, infusing all of our behavior. That's 
Romans 5, 5. Another scholar has said that any authentic journey must grow from an experience of God. There's no substitute for a genuine encounter with perfect love. The indispensable, simple foundation for all of your life and all of your spirituality is first receiving the love of the person of Jesus. Period. That's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus loves you, that Jesus likes you. And your job is not to try to earn that love. Again, that's in our flesh, that's in our conscience. We think we have to measure up. We think we even have to pay him back. No, no, no. The foundation is an experience. It's an encounter with a person who is love. He's perfect love. And as Romans 5, 5 said, he proved it. It says he shows us his love by living and dying in our place as the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. So again, it's God's will for your life. Your job is to show up in front of the fire of God's love, recognize his presence, and have your heart melted. I mean, that is such good news. Only love can soften a hard heart. All your activity and striving doesn't change your heart. You do all that from a changed heart. Only love can inspire, uh, inspire radical obedience. Only love can inspire sacrifice like Christ did for you. He got on the cross and had a perfectly obedient life and a perfect sacrificial life because he loved. He had received the Father's love and he loved you. Only love can free you from the tyrannizing effects of fear. Friend, God is here today in the person of Jesus, on the authority of God's word. And he's standing like the Luke 15 father, and he's inviting you afresh for the first time or for the millionth time. But today, right now, he's saying, will you understand that I'm here and I love you? I like you, and I want you to feel my love. And our response to all of his love as we sit at the fire and having our heart warmed is to do this, is to surrender the response to perfect love is to surrender and receive his love. Will you today surrender to love? Surrender to God. And say, Father, whatever, you're good. You love me. You like me. You made me. I trust you. I'm tired of running my life and running my life. I'm tired of figuring out life. Oh, I surrender to love. I hope that's what the Spirit is doing. The Spirit right now is inviting you to surrender to love. and Just be love and take the gospel at face value. Again, not just in your head. I promise you, Christianity, you read all 66 books of the Bible, puts to surrender to love as the core of the spiritual experience. So it must start with receiving, not achieving. There's plenty of things to do in the Christian life. We'll get there, but you have to receive. You have to surrender. Another guy's put it this way. Christ following is simply saying yes to God's affirming yes to you. And if it's anything less than a response to love, 
Christ following is not fully Christian. Okay? You're here today, and here's what God's saying to you. Yes! 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 To every section in here. Yes to you. I made you. Yes, you relationally sinned against me. You distrusted, but I've initiated. I made the first move back. I'm pursuing you. I'm wooing you. Here I am. And your job is simply say yes back to the perfect yes. So, do you feel the Holy Spirit beginning to burn inside of you for a fresh start or a fresh surrender? He's inviting you to a fresh surrender to His love. He's saying, let me love you. Let me lead you. I promise, He says, I can lead you better. I promise you I can show you joy. I promise I can help you experience more peace than anxiety, even though it surpasses understanding. And that's his invitation to you today. So that is the indispensable foundation, is receiving and experiencing love personally from Jesus. If that's not your experience, if that's not the foundation for your Christianity, the foundation for your spirituality, it's going to go wacko <laughs> along the way. Well, second and quickly, why is this foundation so indispensable? Why is this foundation so indispensable? Let me ask you a question. Imagine God right now. What do you think he's thinking of you? He's looking at you. What's the look on his face? What's he thinking? What are his thoughts? What does he see? Most people answer that question sadly. Even in the church, they say disappointment, anger. He sees my sin. I think based on Scripture, that's not what he sees first. I think... We're tempted and are ashamed to think those things. I think when God sees you, he, he's smiling. He, he sees Jesus covering you. His bias towards you is strong. Here's a little kid. Have you ever loved even a pet or a kid, that feeling? I mean, God's like that perfectly. I mean, immensely, like a million times more than that. If you know how to love some little cute little kid. And if you know how to love a cute little pet, imagine God's love for you. That's reality. He's dealt with your sin so that you can have relationship. This isn't soft on sin. So again, a wrong view of God, a wrong view of this foundation is going to radically alter your spiritual journey. As that quote we read earlier, if you don't receive and warm your heart at the fire of God's love, you'll be forced to steal acceptance. Or try to achieve for acceptance. Your Christian life will look like a ladder and you'll wake up every day and you'll, you'll try to earn God's love. You'll try to earn his acceptance because your heart is so desperately wants to be accepted and he wants to be loved by others and God. That's God put that in you. But again, you're going to wake up every morning and be tempted to have to earn that because you're, that makes sense of your conscience. That's right and wrong. But Christianity is radical grace. And it says no. You can receive it even though you don't deserve it. And so the foundation of your Christian life isn't your commitment. It's what we're taught oftentimes. Yeah, commitment's huge, but commitment needs to be response. 
The foundation of your life is God's commitment to you, not your commitment to Him. The foundation of your Christian life isn't even obedience, because you can obey for right reasons and wrong reasons. Now, obedience is the fruit of surrender and feeling love, and because all of His commands and obeying all His commands is good for you and good for His kingdom and good for others, obedience has a place, and we ought to obey. But if you think the idea of the Christian life is to wake up, I'm just going to do my best to obey every command today, that's out of your own strength and a hard heart. It won't work. It will leave a cracked foundation and a cracked house, and you will not be a very loving disciple maker, dad, mom, child, parent. And it will leave you anxious, guilty, exhausted, and unmotivated. Yes, there's things to do in the Christian life, but there's an order to them. Doing stuff for God's important, but only from an overflow of a full heart after it's been warmed from a worn heart. So even just think about your last week. How would you, what, stick a thermometer in your heart? Was it warm? Hot? Cold? Frigid? Only God's love can warm your heart. Hey, walking through a normal day, a normal Monday tomorrow, with a warm heart that knows God loves you, it's a radically different Monday than a Monday when you're doubting God's love. It just is. And this is God's offer to you. It's a great quote I think I skipped that I just can't skip. Where'd he go? It's really cool. Oh, yeah, listen to this. Spirit-filled souls are ablaze for God. They love with a love that glows. They serve with a faith that kindles. They serve with a devotion that consumes. They hate sin with a fierceness that burns. They rejoice with a joy that radiates. Love is perfected in the fire of God. Okay, that's what it is. It's receiving love through a personal relationship with Jesus. That's the indispensable foundation. Why it's so important, because it will affect everything about your journey you need to have a relationship of receiving, not achieving. Warm yourself at the fire, not see the ladder as a ladder of achieving. Third and finally, real practical. How do we build this foundation and have this experience of God's love? Flip over a few pages to the right to Ephesians 3. Three, quickly, three practical points. How do you build a foundation and have this experience of God? Because it can be practiced as part of discipleship. It can be learned. And here's... Three planks to this, how do you build on this foundation? How do you experience God's love on this foundation? Ephesians 3 is Paul's prayer to these Christians, and you need to read and meditate on this like a thousand times in the next 10 minutes. It's so good. It's so deep. Ephesians 3.14. I've never done this before. Got an iPad. Okay. Pray. Ephesians 3.14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you or gift you or grace you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being. So if you just stopped there and didn't know what the rest of this prayer was, he's basically saying, okay, 
I'm going to bow. Father, you have all riches. You have all power. Now, Paul's praying for this church in Ephesians, these Christians. He's saying, now take all your power, all your resources, all your glory, and dump it on that church. You would think maybe they were saying they need all this power to preach a sermon and go witness to somebody. But in this case, this prayer is so that they can actually believe in verse 17 that Christ is dwelling in their heart through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend. Circle that word, comprehend. The prayer, he's saying, Father God, move heaven to help your little children comprehend more. Comprehend what? Read on. Comprehend with all the saints. This is a universal offer and invitation. What is the breadth, length, height, and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Friends, if you've ever tasted and seen the Lord is good, if you've experienced and felt love and forgiveness, awesome. That prayer's been answered for you some, but you will never fully comprehend the height, depth, breadth, and love of God. That's God's will for you in an ever-increasing measure to have your heart warmed and more pliable, more open and larger to receive more and more and more and more and more of his love and goodness. He's so good. But you see, there's, it's not easy. This is not a simple equation. When I say you need to warm your fire, I mean warm your heart at the fire of God's love. I know that's simple to say, but we have the flesh, we have a conscience, we got a spiritual enemy, we've got a past, we got shame, we got accusation in our head. I know there's lots of stuff going on, but first, the way we begin to receive is pray this for you, yourself, your family, your church, your gospel community. Comprehend. Do you want to comprehend how perfect, wide and deep and high and low God's love is? Before and behind you, beside you? Then pray. It's mysterious. It's holy. It's supernatural. And it's a work of God. Your job is to kneel. It says he's kneeling. Kneeling is a posture of achieving or receiving. You're saying, God, I cannot comprehend your love. I can't go out and do stuff. And so you kneel to receive. Learn to kneel. And open your hands and say, oh, I need to comprehend your love. Help my friends. That's the greatest thing you can do for your friends is to pray for them to comprehend that kind of love. Second, you need to prioritize the morning. There's lots of psalms that say this. But over and over and over again, I'll give you one, Psalm 143.8. You know what the morning theme is all through the psalms? All through Lamentations, 1 Thessalonians, the Lord's Prayer. There's an order to your day. And what your soul needs first is to warm itself at the fire of God's love. Prioritize your day. Win the morning. If you don't want to do that, ask Blake. We've been talking about that. He can help you, I promise. Uh, prioritize your morning, win the day. The Psalms say this. Lots of Psalms. Psalm 90, 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. I could tell you Psalm 5, 3, Psalm 59, 16, Psalm 143, 8, Lamentations 3, Jude 21, 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, all through the scriptures. Your day needs to start receiving and rejoicing and being satisfied by the steadfast love in the morning. 
You pray, you prioritize, and you're going to have to practice. You're going to have to practice. I just recommend, I've been doing this now for over a year. You just got to give yourself five or ten minutes, and you just need to begin. I would recommend you start this way. Just what we just looked at, Romans 5, 1, that you're justified, that you're instantaneously permanently declared right with God despite your sin. Rehearse that. And one simple way to rehearse that is just, you know Scripture's saying it, so now try to and devour yourself with Scripture, but also give yourself, start with five minutes of silence and rehearse this phrase and, and see if God won't, in that space, begin to teach you a still, small voice and just say this phrase or begin to listen and learn his voice saying, I see you, I accept you. Start there. I see you, I accept you. Both of those are so true, and I could cross-reference it a thousand different places, right? God sees you. He sees all of you. He's present, and he's saying, I accept you. Before you've done anything good or bad, that's what justification is, right? I see you. I accept you. And I would make a commitment to do that for Give him five minutes, set a timer, five minutes in stillness and say, and listen for God's voice. Make what what God shouts in scripture from the mountaintop, he whispers in silence in your prayer, prayer closet. Scripture clearly says he sees you and he accepts you. You need to learn to hear his affirming, still, small voice. Give him five minutes, just set a timer. But I would do it for 66 days. I read somewhere that's what it takes to do a habit. I've done it now for almost a year and a half. It's the best thing I ever did for my soul. And I do, I do more than five minutes now because it's so delightful just to be with Jesus. Now, last warning. When you begin to do that, you know it. You've tried it before, right? You can have all these objections in your soul. When you hear God loves you, what are some of your objections? Well, I know he, most people, oh, I understand he's good to everybody else. They're better than him than he is to me. Anybody ever thought that other than me? There you go. Or, oh, yeah, yeah, I know he loves me, but I don't deserve it. Or I've, I've, I've done this one thing way too many times. There's going to be all sorts of objections. If you'll just give God five minutes, he, I mean, he wants, he, he's going to beat you up, okay? I'm not beat you up. He will beat you up. He will awake earlier than you. He's not going to beat you up. He's going he's gonna to get up earlier than you because he's not sleeping. So when you wake up, he's already saying, I see you, I accept you. Go get your coffee, whatever you do, kneel, sit, and just, I see you, I accept you. That's the gospel of justification. But there's going to be these objections. You, don't wanna, you want to know how you want to answer these objections? Because you want to start at the fireplace, right? Your flesh is going to say, your default system, your heart's going to say, climb the ladder and maybe you'll have a good day and maybe get accepted. Well, here's how you answer that objection. Sounds too good to be true. You go back. Listen to this quote. Last quote. Only a fraction of the present body of professing Christians are solidly appropriating the justifying work of Christ in their lives. In their day-to-day existence, they rely on their sanctification for justification. Few, few know enough to start each day with a thoroughgoing stand on Luther's platform. You are accepted, looking outward in faith and claiming the holy, the holy alien righteousness of Christ is the only ground for acceptance. Relaxing in that quality of trust, which will produce increasing sanctification 
as faith is active in love and gratitude. You know how you answer the objection that you don't, when you don't feel accepted? When you feel like you have to climb the ladder, here's what you do. You realize, oh no, I don't have to climb the ladder. You know why? Because Jesus already climbed that ladder in your place. Jesus did all the law perfectly. Jesus loved his enemies and Jesus loved you. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. And so what justification says, when you wake up in the morning, you get to start your day at the top of the ladder. You are justified. Romans 5.1, therefore we've been justified. Therefore we have peace with God. Friends, you answer the objections in your heart with the objective performance of Jesus on your half who perfectly climbed the ladder and really the fire of God's love is on top of the ladder. You get to start every day instantaneously, permanently declared right by God despite your sin. And that will warm your heart. There's nothing that God wants more. The Father, Son, and Spirit unified to convince you that He loves you and likes you and has accepted you and for your heart to melt and you totally, wholly surrender your life and enjoy Him through the day. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we're right with you despite our sin. Holy Spirit, come. Help us to believe that Christ indwells us. Help us to believe that you're present. Help us to learn your still small voice. Hearing, I'm with you. You're accepted. Relax. Help my friends here learn to warm their heart at the fire of God's love every morning. Help them give themselves grace and not give up. It is the indispensable foundation for a joy-filled adventure with Jesus. Move heaven and earth to help us comprehend the love, the goodness, the delight. And Father God, you say that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repent. So we repent now that we thought puny thoughts of you and that we thought you were good to others, but not good to us. That, yeah, you may love the world, but you don't love us. Yeah, you, you're distant. Yeah, you've left me. Oh, no. He will never leave you or forsake you. We have been justified by faith. Therefore, we have peace with God. Make that experience come true. Jesus is in this room right now. And so through communion, he's inviting you to surrender to love. Through the nice song, he's inviting you to surrender to love and trust him with your whole being in your past, present, and future for his glory. Amen.